Hey everyone, this is Philip from Hail Reaper. A couple quick announcements before we get this episode totally rolling. This is the Golden Sun wrap up. We talk about all things Golden Sun and finally put a cap on the end of this book. We had a tremendous time recording this episode. The first time we were all together in the studio and it was really fun. And I think it's a little silly because of that, but we hope you enjoy that different flavor to the show as well. Uh, I wanted to also make an announcement that we dipped our toes in the water of Morningstar. Didn't talk about it a whole lot, but this is a spoiler tag for books one through three, Red Rising through Morningstar. So just keep an ear out for that. If you haven't read that book yet, go ahead and maybe skip this one and come back to it later. One more announcement before we start the episode. We have a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Reaper, and it's the best way you can really support the show. Between our Golden Sun season and our Morning Star season, we're gonna have more content coming out. We have YouTube videos planned. We have fun interviews planned. We're really passionate about it. And we're passionate about it because of you guys. This fandom and this community is amazing. On Instagram, on Twitter, Reddit, everywhere we go, we just feel so supported and so loved by all the Red Rising fans. We want to explore the bounds of what Hail Reaper can be. And to do that, we need your help. If you would consider going to patreon.com forward slash Reaper, check out the tiers. You get access to bonus content as well as more access to us. It really is truly a fun hang to be a Hail Reaper patron and it helps us make more high level content because we believe in this story and we believe in this fan community. Even if you're not able to pledge money, tell a friend about the show, tweet about it, or post an Instagram story up about Hail Reaper. Get the word out, spread the love, and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hail Reaper. My name is Philip, and this is my good friend, Jeremy. What's going on, man? Nothing much. And this is my standard friend, Mathar. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just regular friend. Regular old friend. Regular old yeah. friend. I love it. Right? Hitting that like, C plus mark right there. Definitely don't. Not top five. No. Absolutely. Maybe not top 10. Just. <sighs> Fringes. Right. <break. laughs> fringes of the top 10 like yeah. on, depending on the day depending on what we're talking about Ooh, mm-hmm. that's a great term the friend jizz yeah like, oh the fringes <laughs> yes i love this dude th- that person is on the fringe they're like yeah. all, barely my friend yeah like <laughs> they're one oh, step goodness. away from being like out of the circle you all need to understand that i do the first pass on editing yeah. And this is going to make it really hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna, you have... No, this is the take. This, this is the take. take. Yeah. We've decided what to it call It is now. Mathar. You're right. It took a long time to figure out what we're going to call Mathar and standard friend or okay friend is what we're settled Dude, on. regular friend is so good. That like has yeah. a ring to it. Regular friend. Regular yeah. friend. <laughs> All right. There we go. Okay. So this is our season two wrap up episode. We are coming yes. on. We're being silly. The reason we're so silly is because... This is the first time that we've all been in one studio together. Oh my God, it's amazing. This is exciting. Yeah. So Jeremy and I have not podcasted in person since October 2020. And Mathar is from Arizona. Yeah. So this is like a big deal because you came over and you're here and we're chilling. It's like I'm kind of beside myself. Yeah. This is exciting. Yeah. Um, So I don't know how to transition this because this is clunky. We didn't even talk about how we're going to do this episode. But um, what's up, Mathar? You know, I was just going to say, like... 
it is not only the first time that we're all recording in person. I actually, I think the last time I saw Jeremy, like in real life, mm-hmm. was probably at a show, like, like probably yeah. at like a venue, like when you were playing with Philip, or maybe at a show. Yeah, we didn't like, even know each other. Yeah. yeah, we didn't know each other like well. Like we've we've only known each other well through like internet, long distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is really cool to say because I walked in and felt like I was walking into a friend's house. Yeah. So good, you know, a like, good friend. Testament to the power Not- <laughs> of long distance, like remote friendships but also this is the first time that i'm doing anything socially without a mask in front of two people like i you're the first two people that i have like been in a room with without a mask after getting vaccinated like since i think the last time i was at work at the office like the second weekend in march i think when like stuff hit the fan and I went home and that's where I stayed for like 12 months, uh, like 14 months. 14 months. Yeah. Mathar is feeling a little naked right now. I'm pretty naked. Without the mask. I'm pretty yeah. nude in more ways than one, but you know. <laughs> yeah. You can't see though, so. You, you can tell know. from the sound of my voice that yeah. I, I am. <laughs> my face is nude, my soul is nude, and also my body is nude. But like, <laughs> really the only thing that matters right now is my voice. That's none of the listener's business. No, not at all. It's ours. <laughs> only ours. Let's talk about what we're here to do today. We're going to Let's put a bow on season two, which is uh, Golden Sun by Pierce Brown. Uh, we spent a, basically 10 episodes, like I would say like eight and a half episodes talking about Golden Sun. Uh, we got we did that board game interview with Jamie and Miles and uh, Alex. And then we also did oh, the broadcast year episode was pretty much about Golden Sun, but it was also about the show. And that was explaining the character broadcast to mouth our voices in within our uh, season two. And then the timeout episode, which a lot of people loved, and that was one of my favorites to record. It was when we got to talk about your reaction to Golden Sun. Yes. So we're kind of doing a part two of that today. We're going to be, since you finished the book, you've had time to reflect on it. Jeremy and I have things we want to talk about. We want to voice about this book and kind of just put a final bow on it. And then we're going to move on to other stuff in a few weeks here. So you guys ready to go? Yeah. I mean, the book is fresh on Mathar's mind. I've completely put it out of my mind. Yeah. So I think we're at a good spot. We, yeah, I know. It's funny because we've been jamming on Morningstar so hard getting ready for the next phase, but... Uh, I haven't thought about Golden Sun at all for like <laughs> since we for like two or three weeks, but okay. Yeah, actually, hold on. Now I'm ready. <laughs> there we go. I'm glad you're ready. Okay, so we have a few categories we want to get to, and then we also mm-hmm. want to do some mailbag questions. We're going to do uh, the categories. Let me read the first three we're going to do, and then we'll do a lightning round. We'll take a little more time on these. Favorite scene, favorite quote, and also favorite chapter of the book. Okay. Those are the three that we want to tackle today. I want to establish an order and a flow. Jeremy, we're going to go around uh, clockwise. So Jeremy, you're first. Mathar is going to go second, and I'm going to go third. But Mathar, what do you want to start with? Do you want to start with favorite scene, favorite quote, or favorite chapter? Hmm. Okay, favorite scene. Yeah, favorite scene at the top. Here we go. Okay, so we're going to start with favorite scene. I have a few nominations for you guys that I think are great. Uh, I think some of the best scenes in the book. We can, if you guys have write-ins, like let's do that. So Jeremy, you're up first, but let me run through just three things, three nominations for best scene. I think that are just so awesome in this book. Let's hear it. The gala duel, the Cassie Sendero showdown. I mean, it just an iconic moment within the first trilogy. The Iron Rain, also pretty iconic. And then also the third moment being uh, taking over the Vanguard, renaming the Pax. And I think that's where Daryl's possibly his best speech in the entire series comes into play. And that moment where we meet Ragnar, we meet Orion. That's kind of the extended part of the scene. But when they break into the bridge and when they take it over and Daryl gives that speech, that's what I'm really addressing. So is one of, are one of those 
scenes your favorite or do you have like a write-in? I'm going to do a write-in on this. I okay. want to be different. So I chose the Oracle scene here. This has always been an attractive scene. I'm not, I'm not just trying to be obstinate here, but I actually really like just the idea of what the carvers create, how they create this insane, like nightmarish kind of creature mm-hmm. that's part pit viper, part scorpion. And, and I think centipede is the third one. Right. And it's scary as hell. Yes. Um, and the scene itself is really fun because you have Darrow kind of preempting this political kind of challenge uh, that, that you see in the gala scene, you know, that you find out that everything is politics. And and he really kind of challenges the sovereign to ultimately this like mental chess game. Yeah. Not only do you just get to see the the workings of this of this chess match between the two of them, but I don't know of anywhere else in um, in the first trilogy where you actually get to know Octavia better than maybe in this moment. And, you know, she's kind of this empty sort of vessel as far as the story is concerned. But but you actually get a little bit of um, a little bit of insight to her character here. And I, I appreciate that. That's probably the only scene you really get. I That's the most intimate that Pierce allows you to be with uh, Octavia, even in, in the third book, I think, too. Yeah, and it's really like it's just because it's just her and Daryl. Like, like that's it's Aja's there. Lysander's there. But it doesn't feel like those characters feel like they're so far in the background, like they're in the shadows of the room, whereas you feel like you're really in that uh, that moment. And also in that moment, in that scene, it feels like anything could happen. Like, it doesn't feel like there's, a, you don't know what's going to happen next. Question to question to question. Like, the beat and the rhythm of it, like, if Darrow just got stung and got hurt, I would have not, I, that would have been, like, totally on the table for me. I would have almost expected it. You know, I didn't expect Darrow to win that game. Oh, for game. sure. Yeah, that's good. I like that one. Mathar, anything you want to add to that? Or do you want to go ahead and, uh, do you have a scene that you really like? Do you want to talk I about? have a write-in, but before I uh, get to that, I will say that that scene for me Probably my biggest disappointment from, we're not just talk, here to talk about Golden Sun. I think we're here to talk about, you know, uh, Hill Reaper yeah. season two, right? So like my greatest disappointment from the season is not being able to like score and do the sound design for that. Mm. Mo- I Because we were going to do an Octavia episode. Yeah. And it like, it got, you know. We put it on the chopping block and it didn't it meet. Was, exactly. And we just decided not to release it. But we had a whole episode recorded for Octavia. Yeah. And I was really excited about that scene because it was the first scene in Golden Sun that like, I mean, Gala aside, obviously the Gala was a big deal, yeah, but sure. that moment was like, this is some Blade Runner. I'm trying not to curse because it. <laughs> <laughs> this is some Blade Runner stuff, right? This yeah, is yeah. like, oh, this totally gave me that yes. like very uh, f- like uh, futuristic um, subterfuge interrogation kind of like. Uh, what am I trying to say? It had like strong, like Tom Clancy vibes, right? Okay, like, yeah, like, like it, it was gritty and real. And I was picturing the moment of like, it's a chess game, like you said, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's this weird sort of like chess game between two incredibly smart, incredibly capable people. And I think it set the stage for the rest of the book, but in the big picture, it is a little bit of an aside, right? Most people probably wouldn't be like, oh, that was like my favorite scene from the book. So I'm I'm really excited that you brought that up because it, it's it's like really I cool. think it's also iconic. And it's uh, again, it's the moment you get to know the sovereign and like the how she works. It's not just who she is, but how she works. It's how she deals with people like, you know, like she even says later, she's like, I collect people and you kind of get an idea, a sense of how she governs the society at large through this scene. So yeah. it, it is a big deal because you find out a lot about the society because she is the proxy for the society in this. 
beyond that too, Pierce, I've maybe this changes in the third trilogy. I haven't gotten yeah, there it's yet, okay. right? But like at this point, it's obvious to me that Pierce doesn't spend a lot of time on like world building, doesn't get deep into the like the nitty gritty or the cracks of like like we don't know anything about like what like these cities like look like. Mm-hmm. Aside from a few like descriptions, like to just kind of set the stage or give you a sense of place, like this is one of those scenes where like you've got a device that's introduced, something really wild and cool, right? Like this is interesting. What do you, what's it called? Oracle. It's called the Oracle, Mm -hmm. right? That's your namesake. Yeah, that's my namesake for sure. So you like that idea is you don't get a lot of that stuff, like other than like a razor or describing some of like, you know, there's not a ton of that in the series. Most of his prose is focused on the characters, Mm -hmm. their interactions. Like the story is told through their eyes, like through their interactions. And so I think maybe that's what drew it to me. It's just like, I love getting into the nitty gritty. This like little thing that has one small scene. Like, I don't (laughs) know if you ever see it again in the series, but it'll, be forever like in my memory like mm-hmm. as like this important piece of world building uh that that i'm gonna hang on to so. yeah well you won't you won't see it in the first trilogy uh ever again so i know that you're working on morning star we're gonna avoid morning star spoilers right for your sake because we don't want to do that right now so um just the heads up for everyone's listening if we if we kind of get into morning star topically we know where Mathar is at in the story, right. so we, are, we 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 know the cutoff point if uh, that happens to come up. So <laughs> I'm going to have Morningstar done before we start. Oh, season for sure. Three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not worried about that at all. Better shape than yeah. Season two for sure. What about your favorite scene though in the book? I, I already said it. So when we yeah. when we did Time Out, like that was still my favorite scene. So the the well, I think I I'm changing my answer slightly. Okay. I said the scene where Darrow hands the hollow cube to mustang mustang mm-hmm. i think i'm going to mm-hmm. change that and say the moment in the tunnels ragnar and darrow kneeling before mustang now that i've read mo half of morning star that's yeah i've gotten to the point where the lion joins the pack and i'm like very excited that that had so much bearing on her character yeah at least as far as i know yeah. so uh, that reshaped my impressions of the second book slightly and that's going to be my my denim is the scene in the tunnels where she basically is ready to execute Darrow and he puts it all on the line. And the fact that Ragnar comes to his side, the solidarity, the sense of like, these are my people, this is my pack, like the ominous Verlupus, all of that has so much bearing on the third book and the story, like Darrow's story, especially. So man, that's a moment where like, he literally, he was so unwilling to risk his mission for anything and that was his moment where like okay if i'm gonna risk it for anything i'm gonna risk it for mustang i'm gonna risk it for the off chance that she is going to see what i see and that she's going to be the person that i think Mm -hmm. she is yeah it's a it's a really big moment um we're gonna talk about that later in uh best chapter as well okay that's gonna be there for sure yeah um for me, though, I, I I wanted to say that too, or actually a moment that just adjacent to that, which was uh, Darrow meeting re-meeting his mom as a gold, I, which is in that same chapter, yeah, chapter 50. It is. Um, Such man, a good chapter. Yeah, it's so Maybe good. that was the question from the timeout was like best chapter. I think that was it, it what kinda, I said. We, we really addressed that whole chapter at large within that Yeah, episode. so this is my favorite scene from that chapter yeah. and then scene in the book, like hands down. That was the one that I think for me endeared me most to the book. Yeah, so I want to i want to say it's uh deanna and darrow and that's my favorite scene i want to Mm. 
but if I'm just being, that's like the hipster picking me. You know, it's like it's me wanting to go off the board and not pick the most popular that's scene in the book. Yeah, it's a great one though. But it has to be for me. It's the gala, the gala duel specifically. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going shock. It's boring. Everyone expects it. Um, but it's so good. And I got to relive it in a way that was new with Mathar's sound design. For when I, I read that quote, um, you know, and you you, you did the razor. Uh, sound design for it and it just made it feel so much more visceral for me and it's a moment that already i already felt really attached to but it just was so good because you see I, I talked about it in that episode called gala that you just get to see every side of daryl like it's almost like you're putting him in the middle of a room and you're getting to like oscillate 360 around him over and over and over and you're seeing that compassion you're seeing the rage you're seeing everything and all within the confines of just the duel itself not even not even just the whole chapter, but the duel, because he is a different character outwardly than he is inwardly. Like mm-hmm. the readers are getting a different experience than than the audience that is. It's so well written, yes, but also I talked about in this episode, Jeremy. You you saw that moment as politics. I just saw it as a badass sword fight, mm-hmm. and I just loved it. And I remember I remember being on my couch and I remember reading that and just like I, I said, I was just doing air punches. Like it was so good <laughs> for me. It was such a moment. Um, so it's gala for me. It, it has to be. Yeah, there's a lot of great different levels to your point. Like, you know, there's politics there. There's just straight up sword fight. Um, and it's just really, I think, I don't know anybody who doesn't like that really from the yeah. book. I mean, I, I think it, it really satisfies that level of everybody of what, what their expectation and need from this book was. If you go on the Red Rising Reddit, like, and you just, I know we're all members of that, or you can kind of browse around. It's hard to go a couple days without seeing a gala post. It really is. Like, cause there's it, so many people coming into the series and like getting to that point, like, okay, is there anybody here who wants to talk about the gala? Yeah. Like, it's just like, I have to talk to someone about yeah, this. Yeah, it's, 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 real. it's a big deal. Can I say something to you? Adding to that, this is the point at which you realize, oh, so you talked about the duality, right? Of Darrow. Like he wears a mask in public. He wears a mask in front of all of the people that are his friends, his family, everything. Mm -hmm. But who he truly is, the red that he is, is like suppressed. What's really neat about this scene is like the way that it's written, the way it's presented, the way that we get there. We find out that Darrow's for real, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything that like he can do is not just from the carving. Like he wasn't carved to be good at cravat. Yeah. He wasn't carved to be able to take on Cassius. And he also wasn't carved to be smarter. Yeah. Right? Sure. He wasn't yep. carved to be, to, to outwit Cassius Abalona. Like, mm. it was a long shot for, uh, you know, Fitchner to put him in that position and hope for the best. Yeah. This is where he proves his mettle. Like, he has what it takes to look at his opponent and strategize and think of an approach. And not only, like, be able to do the work, but see what's coming and know there's going to be a moment where I'm going to need to outstep, like outdance. Yeah. Out, not only outwit, but like outperform Cassius Albalona. And to be ready for that, like you go into that scene not knowing if Darrow has what it takes to survive this. Yes, another right? moment. And then you see that, okay, he legitimately does. And from that point on, you're like everybody else in the story. Like we need the Reaper. We need the Reaper at the head of this war because he has the metal. He has what it takes. It's another moment where I felt like anything could happen. And you just, you're turning the pages furiously, frantically trying to figure out like, is Cassius going to win? And this is a duel to the death. Like, you know that the stakes can't be higher. Um, and 
I, I mean, I'm, for a minute there, I think we all thought Cassius was going to die, right? Like we all had that, like when the arm came off, we for were sure. like, okay, this is over. And then it, did I you, didn't, you think didn't think so? No, no, no. I, didn't I was think that. convinced this is the end of Cassius no, in the story. I, 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 I didn't think of Darrow as like a cold blooded killer. Like yeah. I also didn't think that he wanted to kill Cassius. No, for sure. His pride was wounded. I think he needed to prove something, but I, he loves Cassius. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's very apparent even into the, the third book yeah. that like he wants that he had like a moment where he had like a uh, camaraderie a blood connection what he thought be like he was ashamed of what he had to do in the passage like he was ashamed of having to admit that to uh, Cassius like he wants to he wants Cassius to love him the way that he loves Cassius yeah. so I didn't think that he would do it unless he absolutely had to yeah it was it got close but I again I, I felt like anything was on the board in that in that moment that's why I love like it that, yeah. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and do favorite quote that cool moving on let's yes. do it okay so i have a few nominations that i think are just the mic drop moments of this book and we kind of touched on one math R, chapter 50 and this i, I we kind of both touch on this in different ways yeah. so there's this moment where uh daryl walks into his home in lycos and he sees his mom and she he's like you know me and she's like i would know you anywhere and it it makes me emotional for one to there's that that recognition but two Darrow is an entirely like Jeremy said this in the first episode of our Golden Sun Venture. Darrow is a lost soul in this book. He's trying to find himself. He's looking for a sense of somewhere to belong to. And he's back in that place, belonging to what he's there where he belongs. And his mother, he looks completely different, but she's like, I would know you anywhere. It, it kills me. It absolutely kills me. <laughs> I think it's a total mic drop moment because it brings that whole journey of Golden Sun where it needs to be and daryl like refinding himself at the very end even though the book ends in a really sour moment he but he does kind of reconnect with his redness and that was important at that point in the journey so i think that quote unlocks that and it's kind of a climax of daryl's kind of searching moment you know after the book do you also think though that like there's something really telling about this moment where like do you think daryl is realizing he's more gold than he thought he was I think so. Mm. I think that's a big part of it. And that's there's probably, a subtext there. It's huge. Yeah. Throughout the whole book, his his internal dialogue starts shifting in this book a lot more yep. where he starts using gold slang internally, too. And I think that was woven in by Pierce Brown to kind of like almost make you think like this character isn't really red. And he spends no time with red characters in this book, unlike the first book where he was for a long time. Yeah. And then now he's in an entirely gold place. I mean, the title book is called Golden Sun. But and at the only for one chapter does it get to be a red truly well and this is you know to remind you this is right before he walks through the garden and yeah. realizes that like eo is his memory right mm -hmm. like the the girl that he has in his mind is dead and buried and like she is but a memory and like he is better he even literally says in his internal monologue mm -hmm. i am better than all of this yeah i have risen above the station <laughs> and he may want that for all of his fellow reds but like he's still having those thoughts of like you know i am entitled like i don't have to prove who i am like all men and women like all people are entitled to rise above their station right if they if they have what it takes and this is the first time that he actually sees that his worth is not relative to like his standing in society right i get that there was an episode i forgot which one it was but in season one where we talked a lot about this and how darrow has that identity crisis when he first gets carved he resents his gold mm -hmm. nature like heavily 
and then you you see these slips you see this even internal monologue to your point philip where he starts accepting that gold self and then he relishes in it but then he kind of has these kickbacks to like oh no no i'm a red but you know to your point mathar it's like yeah i think he gets it here i think he, he finally understands that like no i'm a red but I deserve just as much as a gold. Exactly. Mm. I'm just on par with them. And I think that's that re the realization in this moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why that quote, it's, it speaks way more than just the few words that it is. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I would know you anywhere. Um, can it, can, sorry, I have no, to, yeah, I have to this. <laughs> do it. This is so important. This scene is so important because it sets us up for the fallacy in mm -hmm. the triumph. Yeah. His, oh, I wouldn't say it's ego. What is it? it, it it's his um, hubris. Hubris. Thank you. His hubris is what fails him in the triumph. And that stems from not thinking that he's better than Reds, but realizing I worked for this. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't just yes. handed it. Like I was put in an impossible situation and I rose above my station, not just as a gold, but even as a gold, right? Like, mm -hmm. like as a gold, I even rose above other golds. Like it's, I'm capable. Yeah. And so therefore, I, I've totally got all these people, right? Yeah. Like I am, I am their champion. I am their victor. I, this is my triumph. And he believes it so sincerely. That's what allows him to like, yeah, it allows him down. to fall down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I got two other mic drop moments that I want to mention. And then we'll, we'll go around Robin as far as like making sure we get what your favorite quotes are. Sure thing. Um, Roke that uh, we talked about this in triumph. You are a son of red. I, a son of gold, that world where we are brothers is lost. And then the action that follows that is tilting the box towards Daryl and showing him what's inside, which is Fitchner's head full of grapes. I that moment, I mean, all the the tension that is built, like there there literally is like a wave that is is building up over and over through the whole course of this book, and it finally just crashes on Daryl's head. That's what that moment is. That's why it is so big and so real and so almost out of control. Like you just can't, you didn't realize the wave was getting that big. And then it crashes on you and you're like, holy crap, like Daryl is just boned. I, I think that line is epic. Yeah. And, and this is really the antithesis of what we were just talking about, of what Mather brought up is, you know, this is somebody who is saying, you know, you may have, you may have bested me. You may have just risen above all of us golds, but I still don't accept that. You know, you're still below me in station regardless of the outcome. And it's just this, it just makes the words even more poison, I think, and, and just, come out so i kind of hate the quote for that though yeah <laughs> i don't know if it's yeah, a, seriously. i don't the know if you say it's a great one shall never wane yeah and that's what he that's what he follows it up with mm -hmm. he actually says in like this, he truly believes it. that's mm -hmm. that is uh supremacy that is like xenophobia it right is. like it's yeah. like whoever i thought you were you're not right and that's like the real i think what's so mic drop about that is like you'd expect it from the jackal Right. Mm. Right. And like Roke, you are holding out hope that Roke might just have like a decent <laughs> bone in his body. And you're like, oh, like that oh, Roke. hurts. That hurts. Yeah. That's my poet right that there. That is literally. <laughs> and what's what's really great about it is like, again, like Pierce is all about like balance and like what we, what we said, like the tension and then like the release. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there that, that the betrayal, you know, is the release. And it's just so poetic because of like darrow poisoning roke so earlier in the story and like yeah one is done in an attempt to save them and the other is done although i'm not convinced i'm not there yet i'm not fully convinced of like who roke is yet but like that you're still working still, on morning star yeah i'm still get working there. like that moment like hurt yeah i did third mic drop moment it's always been me boyo i mean i just like 
can't, I, I don't know. It almost like can't get better than that. Like just Fitchner, it's always been me, boy. And we featured that in our, our yeah. intro. Um, For a good reason. It, 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 it slays. Like it just, it's just like, it comes in and you're like, huh, what, what, you know? And then it's Fitchner. And then, I mean, the action that follows that is like Daryl, like looking up in astonishment, like, and I look up at Aries doesn't use the word Fitchner or the name Fitcher. He says he looks up at Aries. And, mm-hmm. and so the, there's a partnering of the internal exposition and the quote, but the quote alone really does, especially when you know the story, it really like yeah. catches you. And it's a mic drop moment because it's the climax of that character. Like I, of, of Aries being who he is. It's, it's amazing. You know what? That, ju- that quote doesn't do justice to the, the frustration that Fitchner yep. is feeling in that moment. Like, yeah, no, you hilarious. are ruining this. <laughs> like you are totally messing this up. Yeah. Like I have this under control. Yes. Right. I had it under control. That's what he says Just right before. Stop. Like, it's, yeah. you know, like I've got this, I've yeah. got you, right. You have to trust someone other than yourself. To be fair, didn't really give him enough information, right? Like in the dark, doing yeah, the best that he can, like sure. literally hold, trying to hold it together, like grasping at straws to try to like keep, keep himself, you know, sane through all of this. So I understand Darrow, but at the same time, like feel that frustration that like is coming from Fitchner. Like mm-hmm. if Darrow hadn't botched that moment, right? Like he might be alive, like Aries might be alive. So I actually love the way it played out, to be honest with you. I love that Daryl kind of boned everything and then and, and, and Fitchner had because it's canon Fitchner, him having to be almost antagonistic about it. Yeah. yeah and it, it felt it felt right that it was that came in this moment like it's always been me, boy. Like you can feel that that line could have been delivered a hundred different ways. But one of them is like, it's always been me, boy. Like, come on, dude. Like, how did you not pick this up? You know, like, I kind of feel like that's kind of slightly there, too. I don't know. I, I, when you go back and read the story and when you were in Daryl's shoes, I think that it becomes more, a little more obvious in Golden Sun that, that, that could have, that character could have been Aries. But I don't know. I think Daryl, for all his, like all the things he offers the reader, he is kind of a little of a bonehead sometimes. And I think that's just one of them. That's just what I think. Yeah. I mean, like he's, he's a hell diver, right? <laughs> like you think about it, it's like you, you don't, I mean, how do you like spend your days? like mining rock, right? Like cutting through a mountainside. He had to be taught to be eloquent, to dance, to mm-hmm. move gracefully. He already knew how to like come at things with like, you know, a spearhead, right? Like a yeah. sharp point. And I think that's kind of like what's really evident there is like, that's not the right approach in every situation, yeah. right? And it sets Morningstar up so well because yes. Daryl learns to have a softer touch. Yeah, right? it's yeah, he's so much better in Morningstar as a character because of that, because of that moment and others. And not only as a character, but as a leader. Yeah, he didn't understand like what Fitchner had to have done. So much comes crashing down in that moment, right? Everything that Fitchner has had to learn and had to do to be a gold in society as the head <laughs> of the Sons of Ares, like, ooh, that takes a really soft touch. Yeah. For sure. But he doesn't exhibit on the outside, right? He comes off as a very crass, brash kind of like character. Yep. And yet you see his his own duplicity, right? His his own like, you know, the dichotomy between how he presents himself and who he really is. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go first. I'm going to get mine out of the way because we've already talked about it. I would know you anywhere by Deanna is my favorite quote in the book. It really is. It's that simple, but it just unlocks something and it's so beautiful. And uh, I feel like just so emotionally connected to that line. But Jeremy... Do you have something on this list or is it, are you going off board? I didn't think I was going to have to do a write-in. Okay. I really didn't, but I, really? but okay. I do. Okay. Yeah, same. Uh, so for me, it's the taking of the packs. It's it's, it's a, a long quote, it, but yeah. it's a speech. Read it. And 
Incidentally, it's kind of just, I'll, I'll just read the first couple of lines because everyone knows this speech, right? And that's, if I vent you into space, there will be no one to stop them from killing me. So you see, you are my salvation and I am yours. And he goes on to extrapolate on that idea. It's this amazing moment where Daryl really comes out and is making that cry for equality, for you know, you lower colors are just as good and I can't do anything without you. And, you know, we're in this together and we're going to, we're going to get this thing done. And it's, it's a beautiful moment. I, I guess that's, it's just very poetic and beautiful. I, I, I don't want to go too far into it because I'll ruin it. I think it just speaks to the, the story at large, like it just equality and how important that is. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that's one of the, I wouldn't call it for me, I wouldn't call it like a mic drop moment, but I would call it one of, it's a core foundational formidable moment. And quote within the story mather what do you got so um also write in there also write in and um <laughs> would i tell you what the quote is i think you'll understand like why i picked it but um the quote is uh in a storm you don't tie two boats together they'll drag each other down and the reason that's important to me i think is i wouldn't call it a mic drop moment by any means but no. like the most important my favorite quote from the book i think is because of what it comes to represent later on again just thinking about the series as uh, the trilogy as a whole for me it's like i i I don't know like i guess for me it's like well that's an axiom that i could carry in my own life right like my success is not tied to everyone else around me like we may both be successful or excellent at doing it something we both need to be able to do it on our own and it's like you don't always have to bring two wonderful things together for them to succeed. In some cases, like when stuff hits the fan, it's going to make it harder for those people to rise. That was hella deep. I think that what you were saying to me, what I was like registering when you were talking about that quote is it was, it was something that was a lesson for yourself internally. Exactly. And you're applying it, yes, to mm -hmm. the series, but you're also applying it to your own life. And that's what I think something that Pierce Brown does really well, because Jeremy and I have talked about this many times. And I will not go a single podcast without bringing this character up. Tactus is something that we talk about privately together a lot because we feel like that we have a connection with that character that's well off the page. And we talk about that character and, and how we relate to him in a variety of ways. So I think that's what's so beautiful about Red Rising a lot. And I think that's why fans are looking for those types of things that you unearth there, Mathar, because they feel that. Maybe that they're not able to express it the way you just did, but they're feeling that every time they read one of these books. Yes, yeah, it's absolutely something I would like probably share in conversation. <laughs> like, like I could see myself, you know, a year, five years, ten years from now, being like, you know what? There's this quote that I think will be really, <laughs> like in a, real. in, yeah. in a deep conversation late at night with a friend and just like tell them something. And I think like I have a tendency to not think that like I'm enough in a lot of situations, mm -hmm. and that's why I like constantly look for collaborators. Like I'm, I think I'm at my best when I'm working with someone. And while that may be the case, a lot of times there's something to be said about realizing that like, you're not like a part of a ship. You are, you can be a ship in certain situations, right? And in a storm, you may be best on your own, right? Mm -hmm. Like you may be strongest on your own, whether or not you feel it. I don't know. I'm not trying to be like overly like <laughs> super cheesy. existential. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to be like contrived here, but like, no. I just, it stuck with me. It was like, oh, yeah. that's something I'm going to remember. No, it, it's a great life lesson. I mean, there's a, a certain necessary independence mm -hmm. that, that one has in life. And to have common goals, to have something that you all march toward is is very important. But 
like you said, to, to tie yourself to that person so strictly, you know, when those waves come, yeah, you're going to, you're going to wreck, you know? So you have to have some, some sort of distance, some sort of independence of them in order to succeed. So well that's good stuff. I have one more big topic and then we're going to go lightning round. Okay. This is favorite chapter. And I know that favorite chapter and favorite scene can seem similar, but I think a chapter we're talking like, we talked about the gala duel, right? There's so much crazy crap that happens in that chapter that's not a part of that duel or just aside or next to that duel. I think of like, so that's the first nomination. It's blood for blood gala duel. But there's something about this chapter that I love and I think about a lot. There's this ritual that's explored through Darrow and Nero. And, you know, Nero is on the, the periphery of the, of the duel, but highly involved in the moments leading up to it. And so it, the whole the whole chapter is not just about Darrow and Cassie. It's about these other characters too. Darrow makes this slight cut underneath his eye. Blood runs down it. Nero takes that, dabs it with his own finger, rubs it under his own eye. And then he gives that proclamation over him, says, rise man of Mars and take with you my wrath. That's the short version, but there's a longer like uh, feel of that. But man, like, what is that? Like what, 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 like, why do I not know more about that? It's an old blessing. That's what, that's all that Pierce it mentions. I wonder, I want to know where he borrowed that from. I want to know more about that. I think about that way too much, but that whole chapter is, and it's such an adventure within itself. And that's why it's the first nomination. Let me get to these other two nominations really quickly. And then we can talk more about, uh, our favorite chapters respectively. The I, chapter 15 is called truth. It is the Oracle game chapter. Again, another chapter where I think that anything is on the table. Anything could happen at any moment. If Aja's in the room, anything can happen. That's my that's my uh, that's my go to. She's yep. in the room, anything can happen. Uh, and then also chapter fifty, which is the deep, which is going home to Lycos, going to the garden, seeing Deanna, and then finally that final scene with uh, Mustang, Ragnar, and Darrow, and then Mustang having to make a choice, but ends up making the right choice. Yeah, I think those are the three. Those to me, I think are the three best chapters because it's a chapter that has a rhythm to it, but anything could happen inside those chapters. And I would be, I would just, I'm expecting the unexpected at all times throughout right. the, the entire read. So those are my three, but um, I want to do the round robin thing. I want to go, Jeremy, do you have one of those chapters or did you go off board? No, I, yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to be kind of lightning around on you here. Okay. Uh, I'm going chapter 15 Oracle. I, I don't know how I select a scene without also having them as my favorite chapter <laughs> to a degree. I mean, I could have, but uh, Mathar brought it up. It's Blade Runner. You know, I, I freaking love Blade Runner. Yeah. I love watching sci-fi start getting worked into the Red Rising series. Yeah, it could be part of my obsession with, uh, Harrison Ford, but <laughs> aside from Harrison that, Ford. I forgot about that. I have a strange obsession, <laughs> but aside from all of that, it, it's, it's an amazing scene and I already talked about it. So yeah. have we'll you go... seen American Graffiti? Yes. Yeah. It's such a good movie. It's really good. Yeah. No, that's, you said, the, is the chapter called Oracle or is it called Truth? It's, it's called Truth. Truth. Chapter 15. Right. Okay. So you went with, yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm also going to like, I, I think I think you nailed it, right? Like, I think, like, you already know my favorite chapter. Okay. It's the deep. Yeah. The right? deep. I'm going to go with you on that. Yeah. So Same. that's that's for me. Like, I think you hit the nail on the head. Those three chapters for me. I mean, there's so many. I know. Like, important <laughs> moments. It's hard to, like, like, exclude the Iron Rain from that or whatever. But, right. But yep. I have to say, as much as I enjoyed Okay, there's an uh, honorable mention for like favorite moment is Ragnar wielding the razor. Dope. God, so cool. Yeah. And the fact that like um Thistle. Thistle's like, you know, drop that, right? Like <laughs> she tries to not physically take it out of his hands. At yeah. all. And Darrow like 
makes her stand down. Oh, so good. Like that to me is like, that's literally, that is the rising. Yes. It's not just the reds. It is the obsidians. It is all the low colors, all the mid colors, like rising against society. That is so cool. But ultimately the most impactful for me was the deep. I think just everything that happens in that scene to me, it, it, if that had gone a different way, I might've put the book down. I might've put the series down the way Dang. that that went, a- like sold me on, on the story. Like, if we had lost Mustang in that moment, if we'd lost anybody in that moment, right? It would have just been like, God, like, I'm done. Like, For, yeah. It would have been forever time, time out. out. It's in the bin. Like, yeah. <laughs> so we, Jeremy called me and he was like, I was so nervous for Mustang. I was like, yeah, it's it's an epic moment because Ragnar is not messing around in that moment at all. Not at all. And no. I would never bet against that character. Okay, so this is lightning round time. Wait, uh, what is the lightning round? Watch. Just watch. <laughs> you don't know what's happening, do you? Here we go. Do we or, need to take a? Do we? I was just going to ask if we need to take a break. Let's, let's take a break. Uh, let's try to do this. Take a break and come back. And do some mailbag. Okay. Is that okay? You. Okay. I thought the lightning round was a mailbag. Oh no, no, no. no. Ahead, we're we're, we're do mailbag after this. So, um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Let's do the round robin. Uh, Jeremy, let's Matt, or myself. What's the scene you want to see made into a movie or a show? Oh, God. Quick answer on that. I think the Iron Rain is the easily e- most easily adaptable. With, I, with thousands and thousands of dollars yes well okay, yeah easily is not the right <laughs> word you're, you're correct in you, that you mean like that's the most obvious one that's the goal that's the game of thrones moment right there thank right? you Matthew. Like you, the... <laughs> you're more correct than i was in my original assertion it's so easy to Absolutely. make this guys why have you done yeah, it yet that's like the uh, yeah. i could do it in my backyard geez with 13 million dollars winterfell like exactly big moment yeah it, it, it's the blockbuster moment yes. you know it, it's high sci-fi it's the first time we see, you know, what is combat? I mean, you have the galley, you have the the kind of independent sword fighting. I, I this get is that. so different. You're right. But but this is like, I mean, this is a siege, mm-hmm. you know, in, in sci-fi. And it's the first time we get to see that in this world. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So I, I think this could be completely blown out using millions of dollars. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Asterix right there. And it could just be amazing. Yeah. Math, our favorite. Uh, scene, I, I can't pick the same one. So, <laughs> I, so I'm going to. I'm going to pick the same one. Irene. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm siding. You bastard. All right. Uh, <laughs> I am going to go with uh, the the taking of the packs. Oh, it's a it's a similar scene, but on the a minor scale because they're still spitting it's spit tubes going through something. It, mm-hmm. It's like it almost like gives you a prerequisite for what the Iron Rain is. Oh yeah. And but it's but the Iron Rain but, is just mass, like, but crazy. Ragnar, come on, and Ragnar. Ragnar's ah, entrance. Yeah. How can you not want to see that? Like, That'd be a great a, moment. That'd be a great oh, moment. Oh, it's so good. You've got this like behemoth ready to take you down on the yeah. uh, on the uh, bridge of the packs, and then he like offers you his stains. Like, yeah. come on, that's <laughs> so good. On like, a TV show, a, that'd be a baller. It's gonna moment. give me chills, be, right? Yeah. Especially because you know people are gonna like you know Ragnar's gonna be a fan favorite among all the yes. plebeians that fall in line. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here next right, lightning round. Uh, what moment of the of this book had you in the most suspense, Jeremy? Uh, I think the Ares reveal for me. Okay, and, really? Yeah, it, probably more so in context of the greater scene. Uh, it just had Darrow in a really tight spot, you know. Yeah, I get that now. Uh, I mean, even with plot armor, it's like, how the hell is he getting out of this one? I mean, he's in too deep, and then suddenly you have Fitchner, like Superman, saving Lois Lane. Like, oh, I'll take you. Uh, ah, yeah. they fly away. I got that. <laughs> 
Just, you know what I'm gonna say? It's the tunnel. It's the yeah. tunnel. It's the tunnel. <laughs> okay, it's the tunnel. It's the same it's scene for me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I guess we didn't. What's, what's, what's she gonna do? Is she there? And yeah. Did she actually leave? Like, yeah, no, there's so much. Um, yeah, we're gonna skip that because we talked about it at length already. But I'm with you. It is the moment where Mustang could have died in the series, like, or and it was on or, the table. It was on the table. It for wasn't a even about her death. Even the moment where, like, is she actually gonna come back? Right? That like, too. All she may it. have left. Like, this may have pitted her and her father. Like, the triumph might not even have happened if she mm-hmm. had decided to like actually leave. Like, the trajectory of the rising would have changed. Yeah. So it for me very suspenseful. Okay, last lightning round, and then we'll take a break. Moment made you cry, tear up, shed tears, ball. What, what about that, Jeremy? I don't cry much. Yeah. So I'm like the emotional one. Yes, of the you three are. Of us probably. That's you are. So I didn't cry. Now, the one that got me choked up was actually, and I hate to pat ourselves on the back or anything, but the sound design that Mathar did for Tactus's death, right? When we, when we paired eulogy. together the eulogy with the, with the pigeons, I started getting choked up and I, I nearly shed tears on that one listening back. And it, it was, it was an amazing moment for a character that, that we love mm-hmm. and that we hold very dear. And I, I know it's a very polarizing character and some people hate Tactus, but, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's totally. entitled to their opinion, totally. but I'm a huge, huge Tactus lover and watching him die was a, a very sad moment. Yeah. Mathar. I'm gonna let you go first. Uh, Tactus, but not the death, uh, the conversation between Darrow and Tactus. You have a character that is searching high and low for love and to, to know what that even is like. And then finally gets to experience it. True love, true like reconciliation. This character's never had that fed to him, fed to him in his entire life. And then you finally have Daryl giving it to him very freely, very openly. And his reception of that is so beautiful. It really is. And then it's taken away. But I'm not really like focused on that. I think just the the reconciliation component of it, it really brings me to tears. And I think that's something that we all deserve and all need. We need that person at times to offer that type of love so freely and uh, so forgivingly. And I think that that to me is something that I, I just, it's not that I like personally am always looking for that, but at the same time, when you can interject that into a story, I it just, I'm a sucker for it as well. And with a story that I care about so deeply and two characters that are, it's a literal back and forth. Lauren is in the room. Lauren's grandchildren in the room. Doesn't even feel like they're there. It's just, just these two characters just going back and forth. So that moment gets me every time. Let the record show that like <laughs> Phil's literally cheering up as he's talking yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, true. Um, the reason I wanted to go last <laughs> is because I, I also don't like get very teary-eyed i'm an emotional person but like you know crying is not my first mm-hmm. instinct but uh, there's one moment that really is bitter and hard to like look back on and swallow daryl walked into the gala and there was snow flavored like orange and cinnamon and he didn't stick his tongue out <laughs> to taste it yeah like that is so sad just <laughs> that, that he could be so wrapped up in his own <laughs> his own thoughts and oh, his own emotions oh, my goodness. he wouldn't just <laughs> unleash his inner child I yes. don't know. there we go that's big, it big moment for me sorry, okay. <laughs> sorry I, I didn't I cry all during the book no no it's fine that I book see... was in timeout. yeah I have to do one more thing I have to give before we move on and take a break I have to give a shout out to Strawberry Rising I know you're re- referencing that <laughs> So Strawberry Rising is a committee that is uh, within our Discord, and these are the patrons of our of our Hail Reaper podcast. But 
they're also friends. And Janelle runs our social media and she was the head of this. And so she went out and did a huge social media poll and she collected answers from, with along with help of our friends, collected answers from uh, Instagram, Discord, Reddit, Tumblr, like the web, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I want to just give a shout out to her and the work that she did along with those people. And they actually collected the same uh, three categories that we addressed at the top. Favorite scene, favorite chapter, and favorite quote. And here we go. Favorite scene by listeners and social media followers. The gala was favorite scene by a long shot, too. I don't yeah. have the direct numbers, but it was like a big margin. It's understandable. Yeah. And then also Stains chapter t- was favorite chapter, chapter 21, which taking the packs and then meeting Ragnar at the end of that chapter. Yeah. Shout out to Mathar. And then also favorite quote was something that's really unique here. Um, this is by Carnus Albalona. And this was a favorite quote uh, by not a huge margin, but a good one. I will die. You will die. We will all die. And the universe will carry on without care. And all we will have is the shout into the wind. How we live, how we go, and how we stand before we fall. I I have a really hard time (laughs) accepting that as everyone's collective favorite quote. It's an iconic quote. Yes. But when I think about favorite, I don't think of iconic necessarily. And these were not like seated. These were like people's like, just what's your favorite quote? Yeah, and they just, ru- these are write-in? Those are, these are write-ins. Like we, on Instagram, we did like the, you know, like the essentially the questionable thing on the story. Yeah. And a lot, and like we had hundreds of people. That is back wild to, to me. I yeah. have to say, like, I'm like, <laughs> I just, I forgot that he even said that. I'm like, I not, it's iconic, but like what I'm saying, Mathar, is that it's so fundamentally flawed within the narrative of the story. Like that quote, I mean, I, I don't want to bag on people because no, 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 no. yeah, entitled your opinion, but it goes against everything that Red Rising actually is. It's all about pride and your shout into the wind is your own name because that's what Karnas is saying. Right. Whereas Darrow's whole side of his story is shouting love into the wind, shouting right. freedom, shouting justice, shouting uh, he dreaming. That. Yeah. yeah, and later. it's like, it's really interesting that that would be the, a favorite quote. I have to say, I'm shocked. That's surprising. It, 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 Jeremy, what do you want to say? No, it is iconic. I agree with you. And, and perhaps that why that's why it was chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's it's such this nihilistic kind of like everything is meaningless quote when that's really juxtaposed to the whole point of the book as to what you were saying. So it, I mean, people are allowed to like whatever they want. Sure. It, it's 100%. just, I'm just shocked to be yeah. honest. Yeah. It is hard to say like if you know what I think really tied me to the quote that I picked, it was your, um, I, I don't know, like your your little monologue that you had in episode one of season two, where you're talking about Darrow is a lost soul. Mm. He is a ship adrift, right? Like that to me, the thought of Darrow, like that analogy, right? Like of Darrow, like as a ship adrift, you know, lost in a storm. I think that sentiment is so apt. And that is kind of what brought me to like, oh, you know what? This is really how I feel about this book. Mm. and and that's why i like that quote but without that right without that connection maybe i would just lean on something iconic so i don't yeah. know i guess it could make sense no i i, I guess so i mean i don't want to i don't want to judge anyone for liking something I, that's cool you like you like a quote that i really remember in that book like if i were thinking of quotes i could tell you guys right now from golden sun you're like okay just rattle off quotes that would be easily in the top three to four quotes I could rattle off my top of my head for me um the shout into the wind thing it's just that I it's just that it juxtaposes or rather it like it opposes the entire point of the book right. <laughs> which is really interesting does Karnas Karnas doesn't die in Golden he Sun. does yeah he gets killed uh in the Fitchner reveal scene 
You're right. Yeah, he gets rise so high why? in mud. You and mud. You right in mud. You lie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You think maybe that's why? I don't know. I don't, he wasn't. <laughs> like, a, yeah. I'm really trying to understand. I don't have anything to say about this. No, but like, cool. uh, <laughs> I I think we're a little bewildered. If you have something that I want to, I throw out to the audience. Right. If you like that quote. Tell us why. Write it on Instagram. We're always visible on Instagram. Janelle will get back to you or she'll like uh, she'll send it to us. So uh, anyway, cool. Shouts to Janelle. You're awesome. Thank you guys so much for uh, helping out Janelle, all the all the patrons, all the Discord members. Puffin's awesome. <laughs> that's her. That's her howler name. Puffin. Puffin. OK, well, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll do some mailbag. Hail Reaper is brought to you this week by Terigian Law. If you're seeking legal counsel or you're in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Terrigian Law might just be the answer. They offer a free consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. The great thing about Terrigian Law is that there's no double speak, no confusing language, no upfront commitment. It's just a conversation with someone who wants to understand what you're going through and help you get to the next step. Getting started is easy. Just call 559 627 5399 or visit com. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. No matter the circumstance, we all deserve peace of mind. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. Or call 559-627-5399. Tarigian Law. The advice you need, minus the BS. We're back from break. We're going to do some mailbag questions. I did this uh, as an AMA on uh, Instagram, but then we went ahead and I, I answered some of those on the fly, but I saved some of these because they're really good questions. And I wanted to make sure that all three of us got the opportunity to talk about them, not just myself. So the first question was asked by Palin Illustration, and it says, what made you want to start a podcast? Jeremy, why don't you take that one first and Mathar, go behind that. Yeah, I'll start off. And I, I know we've, we've discussed this with our, our Patreon group, but for me, it's, it's about a creative outlet. Philip, you and I go back to even high school, uh, playing in bands together, uh, writing music and playing shows. And that was a, a good time. But you know, when you're, when you're dadding it around and you're getting old, uh, going out until two, 3 AM on a Saturday night, Sucks. just, it does. It's just not that fun. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, I found that the podcast kind of scratches that same itch. It, it's like the, you know, middle-aged dude version of being in a band. And it's it's fun. It has way better hours that you get to choose. Mm-hmm. And no one stiffs you in, on the door, you know, that they promised you and then tries to pay you in beer. So it's even yeah. better. That's it's Yeah, it's true. I've done that. That happened so many times at Audis. <laughs> May I throw about you? You know, I think it's similar like I, I was also in bands for a long time, so it does scratch that itch, the idea of being a part of a creative project where you're collaborating, you know, you, it feels like you're making music in, in a way, right? Like I would say that it, it's a little different for me before I ever got into music. I went to school and I studied screenwriting. I studied filmmaking. Like my intention was to get a little bit of like, you know, affordable like filmmaking school out of the way and then get into like you know uh, la film school and like uh, essentially uh like ucla's old like film program mm. and and go the proper route of like a screenwriter and like a, a filmmaker and it just proved not to be 
practical, economical. Like I, I didn't have the resources that I needed to be able to do that. And so for a long time, like music was that itch. Like it was, it was me scratching that itch. And, and after a life in bands, like I realized like I was still so driven to tell stories and the most obvious medium is podcasting. So I love music. I love sound design. I love storytelling. It just makes perfect sense, right? It's a no brainer. And you get to hang out with your friends and yeah. like laugh a lot and people s- seem to like us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we were all in, we were all like not in bands together, but we all right. played in the same scene. Yeah. Like, so we all kind of like cross paths at different points. Mathar was always in way better bands than I was. That's in. not true. That's absolutely <laughs> not true. But uh, and then yeah, I just wanted to throw that there. But that's funny. Thank you. In for fact, that if too. you want proof that it's not true, go look up uh, uh, an album by um, a band that like I'm not able to remember the name of right now. I oh, wanted to see, see how, how good we were. I wanted <laughs> to see Winter Wardrobe. That's why. That's why I wanted to see. Talking about Achievement House. I was talking about Achievement House, of course. You know, you produced that. <laughs> I. <laughs> that's why it's an amazing album. <laughs> I think I just engineered it, right? Like I didn't like You did no, you did both. We we did the guitars with you and the vocals with you and then then you produced the whole thing on the back half. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's proof that your band was at least better than mine. I don't, at least as good as mine. I don't believe that. But okay, thank you. Um let's go ahead and go from the next question. Uh <laughs> Will you make another epic reading slash retelling? I need another eargasm. Uh, that's by Bookish Sounds. Bookish Sounds. 100%. Yeah. Have you read Morningstar? Hello. <laughs> like, come on. That's like, that's such a no brainer. Like, there's, uh, can we talk about Morningstar? Is it okay? Yeah. Just, we're, this question, spoilers, like, spoiler tag it. right there. Boom. Spoiler tag. If you haven't read Morningstar, look away. But come on. That scene, the, 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 right, the, what is it? The, um, what do you call it? The rise of... I call it the Phobos Rebellion. The Phobos Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You had like a word for it. Yeah. The Phobos Rebellion. Darrow and the Howlers on their grav boots, like like flying, like hovering through the Dude, cages the with yeah, the city. giant... Yeah. yeah, Hive City. With like the cages on the other side and like the, the big hollow screen, like projecting like sitcoms out in front of everybody, right? Yeah. Like just like chaos and noise and just like... Well, I say chaos, but really it's, it's noise and it's... It's meant to like tame people to to control it. Sla- it's a form of slavery, is what Daryl calls a contr- it. It's a common trope within science fiction, yeah. dystopian science fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is this idea that like, okay, we're gonna like pummel you with information, so much information and stimulus that you're not really gonna see. You're gonna have blinders on to what's really going on. And uh, oh man, just the idea of being able to hear what that sounds like, to hear Severo shouting into the wind as it were <laughs> and to have like Darrow's inner monologue like playing over the pounding of cages to the pounding of Severo on his chest yeah. Like, yeah that has to happen that has uh, to happen I was I'm glad you answered that question because I was gonna ask you to answer it and then you did and you even gave a nod there's a couple other ideas that you and I have had mm-hmm. regarding this that I don't want to I want to keep right, in the that's bag that's just an example yeah. of like one of many scenes from that book that yes. could totally be given the full treatment we're, we're gonna we're gonna dip our toes in the water I think a little bit more uh, regarding your question bookish sounds bookish sounds who asked that question is also in the discord as a shrown Althorn. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what's up? Yeah, so no, I'm just saying there's there's obviously many gears turning within Mathar's head. <laughs> yeah. So uh aside from that, you know, we're already planning season three. We're already going through Morning Star and setting everything up. So short answer, absolutely. Absolutely. I think even possibly more than you're even expecting, listeners. So um this question is from PB Doodles. 
our, the famous PB Doodles, uh, who's a friend of the podcast. Love What's up, PB? Yeah, I've been on the podcast numerous times, and I believe I have tried to get. I'm, I'm trying to schedule her to come back on shortly. Her question was, "What was your first read through like?" Let's do the order we've been going in. First read through like, and we can do uh, one book, or we can do the whole series. I know Mathar or is not quite through um, Morningstar yet, but you can go to that point. Jeremy, what was the first read through like? Oh man, I mean, I wish I was going last, but that's okay. I'll, I'll take a stab at this. Uh, it was fast uh, to describe it in one word. I forgot about that. Uh, actually, I had an agenda reading through this because not only was it incredibly enjoyable and 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 I loved every second of it, but I had to both decide: is this something I want to dedicate myself to doing a podcast on? And if so, how quickly can I get through this so you and I can begin planning, Philip? Yeah, and so. There were a lot of these kind of facets uh, going on on my initial read through. I think that that kind of gave me like a cohesiveness in in reading mm. it uh, because I didn't have to wait. I, I there wasn't a lot of uh, kind of forgetting. And I'll say major themes, and it really joined those all together to make one fluid story. But at the same time, I think there there's a tendency. I'm not the fastest reader in the world. Uh, I do a lot of going back and rereading things uh, to get better context and, and stuff like that. So uh, being that it was time sensitive, I wasn't able to do that. So I found on on subsequent rereads, you know, the second and third time that I picked up so much more detail and kind of the nuance of a scene that the first one, I, I would say I skipped over a bit of that. But, but as far as um, just kind of major hits, yeah, it, it was a very fluid kind of feel to me. You went one through five, like Bang, 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 right? Yeah. I mean, I was, I'd be on my bike, you know, on a Saturday morning for five hours um, (laughs) before the sun came up and and just had it in my ears and and just enjoying myself. So I got it done pretty quickly. Yeah. You got it done really, you got five books out quick, like within a couple of weeks. Yes. Yeah. That's crazy. Mathar? Uh, if, if that's slow, I'm, I'm way slower. Uh, I haven't. So I started Red Rising, uh, did the full thing as an audiobook. did it pretty quick. Like I, I got a slow start to it, but like when I, I was trying to read the book and then I was like, I'm never going to get through this. I never have time to sit and just like read. Like I'm always on screens. Like my job involves me being very like focused on what's going on. So, so I was like, audiobook right like i'm doing chores i'm running errands like audiobook is perfect i didn't love the audiobook experience like it like for me it was like very i didn't like having my whole perspective of this world like colored by tgr's portrayal of it right not that's not a knock on tgr it just wasn't for me yeah about halfway through golden sun i was just like i'm not i don't know like i'm not feeling endeared to this the way that i feel like i should like it's good and i'm enjoying making the show but like I want to love it as much as everybody else is loving it. And so I switched to the paperback and uh, rereading Golden Sun like in that. And in fact, I haven't actually read Red Rising. Right? Yeah, like, you just audiobook for Red right, Rising. Just okay. audiobook. Did yeah. half of Golden Sun. I stopped. I was like, all right. I got about like maybe like 15 chapters in. So not half, like 15-ish t- chapters in. It's like, this is not it for me. Um, I'm, I'm going to start over. I'm going to start at the beginning of the book and read it through on paperback and it totally changed it for me. Like then I was able to like contextualize, like project myself into the situation, like hear the characters' voices and anything other than TGR's portrayal and like really formulate, I guess, my own perspective on like gold society and like what Daryl was going through. And so uh 
it was it was disjointed, I guess would be hmm. the, the answer. And I think the reason I'm enjoying Morning Sun so much more is because I started, you know, in the way that I am. Like I'm reading it page by page and yeah. I'm listening to it. And like when I do it that way, it's not in the background. I'm like very focused on it because I can't read very, I'm not a fast reader either. And I have to be very focused on what is in front of me. I get distracted so easily. So I think that's 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 what I learned through it. And that's, I think, the way that I get the most out of the series is just words on the page. Yeah. I went to, I got the audiobook when uh, my son, my first son was born as the way to pass time at home. And I did not like Red Rising. I'll be very honest, like about 10 chapters in. I was like, I come from a place when I like to read books. I like classic literature. Like that's my favorite type of literature. Like John Steinbeck, I know for Jeremy and I, we love John Steinbeck. Oh yeah. Uh, John Steinbeck describes everything all the time. Like everything <laughs> right. has a description. The glass of water has a page description. And I like that because it helps me feel like I'm right where I need to be. I'm sitting in a chair watching the story. And I love Steinbeck. And that's just kind of how I like to read books. And Pierce not that. is not that. Um, and not in a bad way again. But I just didn't feel connected to the world. I didn't know what... I had no clue what an HC was for the longest time. I was like, what's an HC? Like, what is that? What is it? I get what it's supposed to be, but I don't know what it even looks like. And it took me a long time to realize that, that doesn't matter. Like, if that makes sense. Exactly. It, it just didn't what matter. What was I saying earlier, right? Yeah. Like, like his, the, the focal point of the story isn't like all the like little pieces of lore and world building. That stuff is cool and important to some extent, but like what what's happening Mm -hmm. like to the characters their yeah. interactions so i didn't i didn't like red rising right off the bat it took me i trudged through it because it was it was something to listen to honestly like when i was doing chores around the house and i just i wanted to i wanted to see where it went like i did i really was invested but i took long pauses between uh the first chapter and uh like chapter like 25 like into the institute like or so around that point i took like long gap pauses like a couple week, a week off here and there, a week off here and hmm. there. So what yeah. clicked? What changed? Um, Cassius and Darrow, really, and the frenemy thing. Yeah, it got okay. So what you mean in the first book? Yeah, the first oh, okay. book. So, but also like everything that that's a good question because I've actually never talked about this before. Lycos and Yorkton, these two places you're in the first part of the book, or Mickey's Club. These are really sci drenched in sci-fi, but not at all at the same time, like because it's not about. The setting it's about the people but it is like it has a sci-fi aesthetic and i just didn't click with that i wasn't clicking with that but as soon as you get to the institute i know what every i know what a mountain looks like i know what a lake looks like i don't have to picture me myself being there i just was there because i already i had a sense of i know what pierce brown is trying to create or what he's illustrating on the page as far as a setting now so now i can i solely can just focus on the characters and what they are doing because the institute is so regressive um, compared to Yorkton and Lycos. And I loved it from that point on. Like, I just took mm. me a while to get to that point. And then Cassius and Darrow and their frenemy relationship rising up through that natural setting. That's what made me love it. It's so interesting you say that because, like, when you talk about, like, uh, you know, uh, Lycos being very, like, sci-fi, like, I get that. But, like, when I read it, I didn't get that, like, um, alien sort of, like, uh, futuristic Blade Runner sci-fi vibe at all. Like I'm thinking like this is fantasy, yeah. right? These are like no. old families, old cultures, like stuck in a mind, like, you know, 
pining for a world that is like better than this, hoping for a future that actually is the future, not realizing that it exists above their heads already, like yeah. thousands, hundreds of feet up the, above their heads. So like, I didn't get any of the sci-fi. I'm like, this is a sci-fi novel. Like, okay, cool. He's like in a suit, a mech suit that doesn't have anything <laughs> to do with the story, right? Yeah. Like, like the pit vipers, <laughs> inconsequential, meaningless to the story, right? The mm-hmm. story in me was in the, the, it's a folk tale, right? It's these people who clearly seem descended from some like old you know uh gaelic or celtic culture Mm and like the focal point was them and their interactions and sitting around like you know the fires and playing music and dancing and you know just to me it felt very drenched in like fantasy tropes in kind of like a weird sci-fi shell Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until you learn what happens beyond that that like it's like oh this is like (laughs) this is very very science fiction this is like speculative science fiction this is really big like you know what ifs and 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 so i i kind of agree with you like i think that first part of the first book is it kind of hard to get through because you don't have any sense of like where is this going right yeah it was a story about eo and darrow and that's about it and And if you stuck with it because of you yeah and if you didn't like either (laughs) or darrow that was hard yeah because that's what it was about i can't imagine reading it and like just being like a well, you know, I thought I'd try it out. Like, it would totally end up in my, yeah, like, you, you came DNR on. list, right? Like, yeah. Or D- DNF, right? DNF finish. Like, yeah. it would totally have ended up if you hadn't been like, hey, stick with it. And not to say that that was bad, but just wasn't for me, right? Like, the mm-hmm. context or the, the, the idea of the story wasn't something that I, I thought I was going to be as interested in as I am now. I don't think that that, what I described and what you described is unique. Like, I think people did feel like that. Like, not maybe the masses, but I think there's a lot of people that felt like, where's this going and what is this world it's and a like sleeper yeah and then like and why should i care about these characters i guess maybe yeah and, and i mean you know even in the carving on the first go round, you didn't hang that's something that you really had to grow in appreciation you made toward. me like that yeah I, through kind of my experience and, and because that's where it took off for me right because i i think there's a, a pretty common consensus that it's it's slow in the beginning and then people kind of a lot of people wait till the institute uh, to where it really takes off. My kind of liftoff point was really uh, the carving yeah. because of its kind of science fiction-y, I don't know, Frankenstein-y kind of, yeah, kind of feel to it. Because so cool. Such a cool character. Like yeah. such an interesting, like, like um, back and forth, push and pull between Darrow and Mickey. Absolutely. And with Mateo in the mix too. Shout out to Mateo. Good character. <laughs> Uh, he doesn't get enough love. I know. It's yeah, such actually, a cool scene. That, he really does. That's another scene I'm really looking forward to seeing, like, like on screen. Like that that scene oh. with that whole like, like. Mm. Okay, this. Okay, this is really important. We're, we can't. We don't have time to talk about this today. But <laughs> what I want to talk about at some point is like, like on a future episode is, okay, how are they going to break? Are they going to break these up a season per book? Because I don't think they can. So much happens. Yeah, no. like, so you, many you'd have to it. montage the hell out of it. Oh and my that would god. Suck. Yeah, I yeah. think six books are going to turn into like easily 10 seasons i don't know it could it very well could yeah um let's do the next question this is from lisette i actually remember this when i saw this name come in i think lisette shout out to you because i think you entered and won our very first giveaway on instagram oh that's right i think if i remember the usernames correctly it was uh oh it's excuse me i think it's yeah i think lisette and also Sharkbait. if i remember yeah, i think you're right um i don't know why i remember that but i think it was just so exciting because it was august 18th 2020 that was the day we launched and that day is just etched into my head. And so I remember a lot about <laughs> That's that. That's a good day. call out. Yeah. But she asks, um, what's the one thing you don't like about the first trilogy? I think we kind of just gave an answer a little bit, but yeah, I, I, I but I but I want to ask if there's like maybe something more specific. But Jeremy, you have something? Yeah, I'll kind of elaborate because I 
for me, we did just answer it. I, I think it's book one. Um, and it's not that it's a bad book. I know, Philip, you've said this many times. It's like, you know, when you when you look at at Golden Sun, Morning Star, uh, various books that are widely looked at as, as his best books, we're talking about Pierce, um, those are A pluses, right? Mm-hmm. So that's not to say that that book one is is a, a C or a D or an F. It's, no. it's to say it's an A minus. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think one of the things is like, it's his first published uh, novel and you just watch his progression by, especially when you get to Morningstar, uh, he's really becoming a master of his craft. And, and it's like, I'm not saying that, that Red Rising is not a good book. I'm just saying, man, I, I wish I could have had a, a incredibly skilled Pierce Brown be able to craft that same book and see what that would have been like. Spicy take. I, it, it's a little spicy, <laughs> and I'm a, a bit reluctant to say it, but it's true. There you go. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it, for me, is so much that, like, the first book is not, like, as well written. I think that it's it doesn't really prepare you for what's to come. Like, you said it once, like, one of you said this to me, like, <laughs> the Pierce Brown or, like, the 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 world of red rising that you get in the third book is not the world that you get in the first book. That's true. Yeah. So true. Right. But I, I, I think the skill is there. I think that like the, the talent is there, right? Like it might not be, the style might not be fully developed, right? The yeah. style is not fully developed at that point. But like, I think I just didn't like, if I had understood like what the world of red rising was going to become like, uh, yeah, I mean, it would have been so much more appealing at the outset. My take is also going to be spicy. <laughs> Dang, here we go. My take is that uh, uh, the thing, and I, this is coming from someone who doesn't know what happens in the second trilogy, except it's been spoiled for me that like the second trilogy is not from Dara's POV. So I know that. I think the fact that it's from Dara's POV is maybe my least favorite thing about the first trilogy. Okay. And wow. not, not to say that I don't care about Dara's perspective, but that it's exclusively Dara. There's so much happening that I'm like, oh, I want to know who Trig is. I want to know where Trig was. I yeah. want to know what was going on. I want to know what was happening on Earth. Yeah. Like, I want to know about Lauren. Like, I want to know what Mustang was off doing. Like, I want those perspectives and I want those stories and I don't know if I'll ever get them, except maybe in a TV show. It's been pointed out on the Discord a couple times that like, oh, how are they going to turn like this story like into a TV show? It's all from Darrow's perspective. But that's true of so many books right? Like mm-hmm. you find a way to like do that and you actually break it out of that first person perspective to like, you know, tell a larger story in a larger world. And I think like, there's just so many moments where I'm like, we're only getting Darrow's side of this. And like, I like deep down inside, I'm like, right. <laughs> Roke is off doing something. And I'm not entirely convinced that Roke is who we think he is at this point. And this is coming from somebody who doesn't know what happens at the end of Morningstar. <laughs> yeah. So like, I'm like already like, all right, Roke, you know, I'm I'm going to withhold my reservation, my judgment until I get to the end of this book, because there's no way that you're stupid enough to follow <laughs> under the jackal. Like, I don't believe it. Right. Yeah. Something else is going on. And that's the stuff that I wish I knew. And maybe it's best that it was told from Darrow's perspective. But part of me is just like, damn, I wish I could see like what Dang. else is going on. Right. Yeah. I have, I have an answer for this. It's different from both of yours. Okay. I do not like Titus in book one. <laughs> <laughs> I just like you just don't even need him. I don't. I I really have thought about this. I've actually spent time, not just with this question. This question actually made me think about it more. 
But I've thought about it in the past. I've thought about it with you a lot, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Like back when we were planning for the podcast, like not even actually like recording it. What if the character didn't exist? I kind of see it a little bit, a little bit as filler. Yeah, and, th- and this is something we actually talked to Ben on our Cassius episode uh, in season one about. And I forgot, or was it Mailbag? We actually talked about it? Because there was a question about, you know, if this was adapted to television, what would be left out? And there was some sort of context about that that we were talking about. It's probably mailbag. And yeah, and and Titus came up as as I can see that. something that would be left out. I think it was actually Ben who said um, the role will actually probably be combined, so it mm. still serves that that kind of look at the angry red kind of side of things, yeah. but at the same time, not so, like serve an exclusive purpose, but kind of be rolled into a. a kind of a multifaceted role. It could role. be a throwaway line too, where like, you know, uh, uh, either Dancer or like Fitchner reveals like, you think you're the first red to like go through this, yeah, right? Like exactly. it could yeah. be totally be a throwaway line and be just as effective. For sure. It's just, it's Darrow's awareness that he's not the only like, you know, uh, person at the the helm of the rising, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, he may be the only the person who succeeded so far. When you go like, most of these books, we've done this today with Golden Sun. We went and kind of did, played the greatest hits, right? We talked sure. about the top. We could do the same thing for Red Rising, and Titus wouldn't come up one time. Not even <laughs> Until you close. said it, the reason I laughed is because like, oh, you're right. Yeah, like, not even close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and, and for the, ca- the fact that the characters in the book, as long as he is, is that's what I'm thinking about. That's like, wow. You think wow. he's going to have so much more relevance. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. like, wow, you're just going to die. Like, and okay, cool. Like, I mean... It, I guess the character is used as a device between sure. the, the frenemy thing with Cassius and Darrow. And I, that's if that was what you would do, you could have done that a lot of different ways. You could have made divide between Cassius and Darrow completely internal as opposed to external. It, it's weird. It's weird to critique Pierce Brown. I feel like this is so strange for me to, to say this. Um, but no, again, we're not critics. Yeah. But um, also, it's again, you said, Jeremy, it's the first published book. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get to Golden Sun, it's a banger. And you're no, like, no. there's nothing in this book that I would be like, I wouldn't have that there. Like everything feels incredibly properly placed and then Morningstar even more so. And then that escalates from there. I agree. Yeah. If you have to be, I mean, I think this is more or less from like, it's conjecture, right? It's like, if I was going to change anything, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm not sitting here reading Morning Sun thinking like, oh, I wish this book was different, but it's like, if I was going to change something, I'd absolutely just want like other perspectives, right? Like that, that'd be the first thing that I thought about. And I think you're, you're basically proposing the same thing like if you're going to change anything you might just cut the fat a little bit yeah right? exactly yeah i love i still love that it's morning sun i like that's what that's did i what, say that again yeah yeah i still <laughs> I, I jeremy and i jokingly call it that too now yes no, in text it, messages i've like called it morning sun so many times like on purpose just yeah, to like keep no. like driving home it's, that like now it's ingrained you know, it's yeah. it's morning sun and then also it's bloyo because you you misspelled bloyo one time to both of us bloyo yeah bloyo yeah. instead bloyo, of bloyo yeah <laughs> Um, so, my faux pas. <laughs> uh, let's do the next question. Uh, the next two are from Zeph Hawaiian on Instagram. All right. This is, but Logan. And uh, Logan is a, is a big player in the Red Rising world, but also a big player in the barbecue world. Uh, shout out to SoCal. Uh, this is a good question. I, I, this is a really weird question, but it's a good question. Who wins 1v1 combat? No rules. Ragnar or Sephiro? Jeremy, do you want to take a stab at this? Like, try to like talk through this if they're just. I don't even know how to answer this question. I just think it's really interesting. Oh man, um, I'm just gonna answer it. Yeah, it's Ragnar. Okay, I he's extremely skilled. Severo is is never described as any sort of razor master of any sort. Kills Prem in the passage, though. I don't know. 
He does. He has that same scrappiness as his father. At least we can assume as much early on in his um, in his book career. I guess book career. <laughs> I don't know. I don't he know is that. a peerless scarred. He's a he's, book career. Yeah, I love that. He's he's peerless scarred. <laughs> I don't know what else I would have said other than book career. Um, but but Ragnar, he's just brute strength, and we see him best uh, some amazing peerless. Yeah you know, throughout, throughout his run. So, I mean, you guys can have a completely different take. I'm not married to this take. I'm just saying Ragnar all day long. You know, it, it, I think it changes depending on where you are in the books, right? When is it Severo versus Ragnar? And also why are they fighting? What are they fighting over? (laughs) There's just like, you know, there's just so much subtext here. It's an interesting proposal. That's all. It is just outright like one V one, uh, to the death, for honor combat, I think um, if you're if you're talking about like the gala, Ragnar, right? I think Severo is Hands down. way outstripped here in every capacity. Um, he, you know what? You'd think early on, even in the capacity to like think through strategy, but Ragnar proves to be an extremely apt combatant. Like in book three, like he takes the. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> like he, ta- he 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 takes some very he makes some very like significant moves in, in book three. And so I think like, and just like that context, you're looking at Ragnar. But if you're talking about like guerrilla warfare, no rules, like depending on the arena, if your arena is like an urban sort of like, you know, Hunger Games-esque thing, Severo has a, like... Like I then I start to question it, right? Like Severo has way more leverage in a situation like that because he is scrappy. He's a bronzy, peerless scarred. Like that's mm-hmm. like against so many odds, he rose to become Ares, right? Yeah. Like and and wore the helm well. Like totally different approach than like, you know, Darrow would take. Again, spoilers for book three. Damn it. <laughs> like it's hard for me not to it's, talk you're about really, that. You're really in the thick of the book and I know you're enjoying yeah, yeah, it a yeah. lot. So I, so, so I think okay. To simplify that, I think like given the arena and the context, like in like close quarters, hand to hand, one v one combat, like it's probably Ragnar. But like in, you know, a larger arena where you have more variables and therefore, you know, somebody's scrappiness and resourcefulness and, you know, their ability to color outside the lines. Because face it, an obsidian is going to have a very like focused, narrow view of war and combat, mm-hmm. right? Whereas like someone like Severo is going to bend so much, uh, so many rules and bend like, you, you know, like to all of the uh, input, right? To kind of like make that work for them. So I, I think it could go either way. I, I'm going to just say Ragnar. Um, ah! so I, 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 <laughs> I tried so hard to so, fight for so I know. So, and it, it, here's why. And you I, did well. <laughs> I think that, yeah, you did actually did it, made a really great case. I think that like the way Severo fights is... Um, how Darrow used to fight in a lot of ways using rage is that that almost that fuel that like he needs to put inside himself in order to get to a point of escalation and get to a point where he can do those significant things Ragnar doesn't need anything other than just what he has just it's just I don't know I, I would say I would say God-given talent but the thing is that, that he was like pre- basically created <laughs> so it's not really God-given but I, I will say a, that like obsidians like, especially like Ragnar are kind of like in a way game breaking because it's like yes. you spend a whole book talking about how like 
you know, unstoppable, <laughs> how like supreme yeah. golds are. And then you have Ragnar who's like, could probably take on yes. like yeah. three, four different like golds yeah. at once. And it's like, okay, so like, why aren't Obsidian's in charge? Like, yeah. what's going on? Yeah, Obsidian's that they get vetted out a lot. Um, just it's not a spoiler. They just, they start becoming a much more focal point in the story, just even in the second trilogy too. So it's like so when you're talking I about see why, yeah, you're talking about like that different POV stuff. Like I'm excited for you to get to that point. This might also play up just the importance of um, you know, psychological warfare, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're raised as cattle, you're raised as like servants, slaves. Like your whole life, you're taught to believe that. You know, you you don't unlock your true power until someone hands you a razor and says, yes. mm -hmm. you know, go do it. Fight alongside oh, sure. me. You know? yeah. And then you're like, oh, right. <laughs> That's right. I'm unmatched here. Like shout out to Logan for that question. That good was, one. That was Love fun. that. Um, but Logan has a follow up. So let's go ahead and answer that. Uh, this is a fun one, too. If you could be a part of any house in the series, which would you be a part of? Um, there's two ways to answer this. There's like there's like Institute House or there is like um house as far as like house augustus mm -hmm. house bologna how do we want to answer that because that's left well, open to interpretation when i first read it i was thinking that exact same thing it was is this institute house um in which case i'd be in minerva um Boring. Or, like that's exactly why i would be minerva <laughs> <laughs> but i i don't You're think a hufflepuff is that <laughs> <laughs> hufflepuffs are dope so i'm not a hufflepuff there i defend or ravenclaw them. i'm I ravenclaw ravenclaw yeah, that makes ravenclaw. sense i was yeah. just gonna say this hufflepuff is not right <laughs> um but i i think that logan actually means uh like major family yeah okay uh, in in the general right let's answer it that way in the general society rather so uh I think I don't I don't wouldn't fit here, but I would love to be a telematis. Yeah. You have the beard though. It works. I have the yeah. You have a red beard. You could and, you would totally be And that's like, just it. That's it. That's all it needs to be. And, and it used to be really wild too before yeah, my wife heard. just got mad and was like, you have to keep that thing trimmed. <laughs> so there you go. I think I have the the proper beard uh ready. Uh I don't have as large a frame. I'm not like, you know, eight foot five or anything like that, mm -hmm. but I'm I'm a bigger guy. It's a really good answer, by the way. Um, and well, I love it, it, yelling it, it, my name. I mean, who doesn't like yelling their name? <laughs> so that's my every answer. Every morning when I wake up. That's, can I just get like a, uh, yeah, can I get a Jeremy out to Lamont? <laughs> can I just get it? You want it? Yeah. All right. Jeremy out to That's, that's stellar. Hands down. Stellar. Yeah. That's audio yeah. gold. My uh, kids are going to be like, what on earth what is, is going on down the hall? <laughs> He's lost it. He's finally lost it. Um, you know, I no, I can't pick one. I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to be a gold. Like, if I want to, yeah. <laughs> I don't. Like, yeah, I. We can talk about. Uh, I'm not. I'm not an Augustus. That's no, for sure. Like, but there's you can. There's one. There's a. There's a house that you can be a part of that you are a part of. Broadcast. That's not canon, though. I mean, <laughs> that's like that's yeah. like fanfic. Yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. Within the world of Red Rising, um, I just I wouldn't be. I don't think I would be. I think I would be. I'd I'd want to be an Obsidian. I think like I'd want to mm, be wow. part of like where uh, Ragnar that's comes cool. from. Like the like that culture. Like the idea of like you know generations removed Nordic culture that is like you know. Uh, at one pole of Mars and has like these amazing like spiritual rituals like they have a giant tree and like a like a what's the creature called that like comes up and like it's like the whale or whatever it is like the I, I what, what about obsidians yeah the giant whale 
Yeah, there's like a creature that like. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have no. I know what you're talking about now. But a dragon. I, they call it a dragon. Yeah, but it's. I know they come up. It's. Yeah, I cannot remember the name of it from my life though. All of that stuff sounds so dope to me. So whatever the house that is. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, like they go and they pay the respects, and then like it comes up, and then, like the harvest comes, and like I don't know everything about it, like in the tattoos, and uh, you know that that seems just so cool. Mathar. V- Valeris, then that's right. Valeris, yeah, yeah Vol- I'd be a Valeris. Thank you. I like it. Okay. Good choice. I don't know. I, I haven't. I, I'd actually didn't. We didn't like spend a lot of time thinking about these Q and A questions. That's why you just have to shoot off the cuff, man. Do it. Uh, okay, so I would want to be a Violet. So just that just counts me from the conversation in a way. But weirdly, I think that I would fit into. I, I, I can't. I hate this answer so much because it's like. What's the question? Let me see. Is it want to be a part of or would you be a part of? Um, I think you'd be which a, would a you, pagenus. Which would be, which one would you be in if you could be a, if you could be a part of one? I would say I want to be a part of the Telemannus family. Yeah. If I were to be a part of one, I feel like I would weirdly, Roke and I would be like brothers or something like mm. that. Like I would yeah. be a Fabii. Like I just feel like that's like, I can just jive with him on poetry and philosophy and we can just talk about all that nonsense for like a all long right, time all right if i was going to be a goal that'd be an arcos there you go there all you right go. good answer great yeah. answer but i think i'd be a fabii um but if i could choose i would want to be a telemannus if i had my if i had total like just autonomy i'd want to be a violet but that's that's it there so yeah i think that's that i said what i said i mean i meant what i said but yeah if i was if i had to be part of a if i was going to be a gold and i was going to be a part of a gold house like I don't know. Lauren seems dope. Like the fact that the idea of like, you know, not wanting to be part of politics, wanting to live on a farm and like, you know, uh, do water dancing, like (laughs) (laughs) river dance, water Water dancing. Yeah. On the, uh, the, uh, sticks basically like that's, that seems dope to me. Like I I could get on board with that. Lauren doesn't seem like a, like a prick, but okay. We are here at the last question. The question is, it's a big one. What quote do you think has the biggest impact on the series? It's asked by Stuart Swinford. Oh my goodness. I'm not going first on this. Um, I can. If okay. Mathar, if I think I... you have to go first. <laughs> okay. Break um, the ice for us. I have two answers. Dancer is the first answer and Nero is the second answer. Dancer has two quotes that we've talked about before and even recently on the Gal episode. An empire cannot be broken from without till it's broken from within. That's the, the paraphrasing. I don't have it in front of me. I think that has incredible impact on the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the lesson that Daryl needed to learn in order to uh, move forward. Also, we're not terrorists; we're empire breakers. Also, told from dancer to Darrow. These are like these are lessons that just permeate books two and three, uh, even book one, but mostly books two and three because those choices become harder to make in books two and three. Like, I mean, we're talking about Morningstar a ton today. Several wanted to go the terrorist route a lot, but was dancer telling and that same like that same notion that same kind of fatherly level was dancer taking several aside and saying hey like we're doing it this way i don't know we don't know that's maybe part of your problem with like not getting that well getting one true pov you know maybe there's this whole other thing that there's a relationship with dancer and several what was that like we have no clue what it was like for almost a year mm-hmm. and we just will never know um yeah. but i think those are the two biggest quotes of the biggest impact in the story but i think there's another one that I want to address, and this is where. Well, hold on, before you, yeah, just those two. Do you mind if I jump yeah, in? Yeah, please, and I'll, I'll come back to mine. Okay, so I might be wrong, you know, it's not definitely not a hot take, but 
the one that I've seen, there, there's a quote that I've seen like thrown around a lot on the internet. People love to like make fan art around it. And I think it represents sort of like uh, the, the moral of at least the first trilogy. Home isn't where you're from. It's where you mm-hmm. find light when all grows dark. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like exactly what the point of is, right? It's like, it's not what you were born as. It's like where you go, right? Like the people that you meet, like that's what you bring. It's what you leave behind. Like just this idea that like home is in a place that's designated, right? Like you make your home, you make your way, you decide who you are. And that's what's wrong with the society. The issue with the society is like everything in its right place. That's not the way things work. So the unique thing about that is that's spoken by Roke uh, to Darrow, which is interesting because like he's the speaker of that quote. Um, and that's right before the gala, like when they're in their room, they're having that private moment. That's where the pigeon story is shared. And then it leads up to that line. And it's one of the reasons that like, I keep saying like, I don't know if Roke (laughs) is who we think he is. I haven't given up on Roke (laughs) yet because like, there's just, there's too many like little moments throughout the story that make me think like, you know, this heel turn, Mm -hmm. it it doesn't seem random. Like it's well-written, but like there is this like the poetic nature, right? The poet, as as he's called, doesn't feel like it was set up to be this big, like, uh, heel turn. It feels like the heel turn was set up to make you be like, oh, right. It's like, you know, I, I'm, I, this is a conjecture. I'm getting off topic. But yeah, to me, <laughs> to me, that like idea, right, is it, it stands as true because, you know, as you see, as you get further into the first trilogy, that is absolutely true, right? And that is what Darrow needs to discover, right? That he is not fighting for his old home only. He's fighting for his new one. Yeah, never give up on Roke. I don't care what happens. I never don't will. give up on Roke. Um, no, it's, it's, it's one it's more a, book. It's, it's a good quote. <laughs> um, it's a bit like Sweet Home Alabama for yeah, me. Yeah, totally. It totally is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's sugary. Uh, but I, I would like to nominate uh, again, the, the quote on taking the packs and, and we already talked at length, so I'm not going to go back through mm-hmm. it or anything, but it, it's this moment where throughout the series, you, you really have this, um, competing role of like, are we overthrowing society to subjugate gold and kind of make them feel what we've felt for so long? Or are we really just trying to make our voices known and gain equality? you know, amongst society members. I think that Jero is obviously, obviously arguing for the second in this moment, but I, I think it, there's really this contentiousness amongst what, what the goal is. I mean, you have characters like Titus that we talked about. You have, you have Harmony um, who are really just trying to make gold suffer, trying to exterminate gold and get back at them for what they've done to everybody throughout all of time. And here you have Darrow saying a much different thing, you know, really living out EO's dream and saying, no, 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 like all we want is an equal footing in life. All we want is to be on the same plane and you're my salvation. I'm yours. And it's just, it's a beautiful moment. And I think it just really spells out what this rebellion is, is, is truly about. Yeah. And it's funny that we haven't brought up EO yet. You kind of just did, but like live for more and break the chains. Like, I mean, if you're it's a about, decently important quote. I know it's funny. It's, and I'm not saying, and weirdly, I don't think those are it. I think they are, man, I, I really do like EO. I feel like they're more or less mantras or they're slogans. And they kind of got 
utilized um, and almost twisted in a way over time. And so I don't think they carry this value to the story that is super weight-bearing, weirdly, even though they become like ingrained into the fabric of the book. So I hear, I want to go back to what I was talking about earlier, Mathar. You have this moment at the end of Red Rising where it's just Nero and Darrow and they're talking. And uh, Nero says this, he says, steel is power, money is power, but of all the things in all the worlds, words are power. And I think that actually is a better sentiment and a better way to say live for more or break the chains because it's validation of that words are powerful. And in fact, they're the most powerful thing they can carry with you. And so it validates EO's like slogans or mantras or words, but it also validates the fact that what Jeremy was saying is that I can get up and I can get on a bridge. I can be an infiltrator and I can take this over because I'm just using words as a weapon and I'm utilizing them and they become real and they become much more deadly than a razor ever could. So I think that that quote actually taps into something so much deeper than just a singular word. It's the idea that words are bigger than anything I could say. Anything a single character could say falls flat because it's not about just one word or one slogan. It's about an amalgamation of words and how you put them together in practice. Hail Reaper. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, well, it's well said. Um, so that's, I think that's the most important, most weight-bearing quote in the entire series. Enough said. And with that, I just want to give a shout out to Janelle for helping us craft this episode. I want to give a shout out to all our Discord members for being supportive and they actually influence our podcast. They're talking to us all the time. Mathar, myself, and Jeremy are always uh, gleaning things from them about the series and they're making it so much more rich for us. So thank you to all of them. Thank you to our patrons. Thank you to everyone who listens, everyone who downloads. Thank you truly. I know we joked at the top about a good friend and a standard friend. Regular friend. <laughs> a regular friend, excuse me. But these are two of my favorite people in the entire world. They are my good friends. I want to thank both of them. Uh, and it's so exciting to do a podcast together in the same room. So thank you, Mathar. Thank you, Jeremy. Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper is a production of Catacomb Body. Thanks to Pierce Brown for creating this universe. And thanks to all the contributors who make this show possible. We were engineered by Joshua Ramsey with editing and sound design by Mathar DeLeon. The bit of music you're hearing right now was written and produced by Sahab. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. And follow at HailReaperPod on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for updates, giveaways, and more. You can support the show directly by joining our Patreon community, where we issue monthly bonus content, exclusive artwork, and hang about with all the howlers in the Discord. Visit patreon.com slash HailReaper to learn more. This is Broadcast signing off. Until next time, hail the gory damn reaper. Oh, I mean.